0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, ten years ago, a radio evangelist named Harold Camping predicted the day of Christ's return. Maybe some of you even remember that. He predicted that Christ would return on May 21st, 2011. Well, May 21st, 2011 came, and it went, but here we are, and Christ did not return. When his first prediction failed, Camping revised his date. He said the end of the world would instead come on October 21st, 2011. Well, that day came and it went also, and here we are, and Christ did not return. Well, we can be thankful that sometime later, Harold Camping confessed that his predictions were sinful. However, at the time, he led many people astray. Many believed his predictions. Many followed his teaching to their own hurt. It caused much damage for those who followed him. and caused much damage to the name of Christ and for the church. Now, perhaps for many of you, you shake your head that anyone would believe him in his predictions. The man was obviously teaching falsehood. He did not know, and he could not know the date of Christ's return. After all, Christ himself says in Matthew 24, only the Father knows the day and the hour. So, perhaps most of us here, I hope most of us here or all of us here would not be led astray by someone who makes predictions like that. However, spotting false teaching is not always so easy. For example, listen to the following statement. God does indeed provide believers with sufficient strength to persevere in faith and is ready to preserve them in this, if believers will do their duty. Now, do you agree with those words? Well, maybe it's hard. I, I simply gave you a statement. Maybe you can't even process them just sitting in the pew. Maybe they sound biblical to you. Well, I got them from the rejection of errors in the canons of Dort, And maybe you've had that before, reading the rejection of errors. You think, oh, that sounds good. And then you realize you're, you're reading the rejection of errors. See, false teaching is not always easy to spot, but we need to be on guard against it. That's because false teachers will arise in the church, and they will try to lead many astray. It's going to happen. It's what our text specifically warns us about. As we also see from this text, false teachers can cause so much destruction, so we need to be on guard. So, as I preach you God's Word this morning, I'll do so under the following theme, false teachers will arise among the church, so be on guard. And we'll see that this truth calls us to, first of all, recognize false teachers, Uh, second calls us to remember God's judgment, and finally, it calls us to rest in God's protection. Now, at the end of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, the Apostle Peter assured his readers that the Bible is God's book. Listen to these words from 2 Peter 1. Know, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of inspiration. When the Old Testament prophets spoke, it was God speaking through them. And this was great news for the people of Israel. They didn't need to wander around in darkness wondering what God wanted from them. They had the prophets. God spoke through them. They had the very word and will of God. And this is also good news for us. God wrote down those very same words of the prophets. We have them in our Bibles. We have the privilege of reading our Bibles every day. We have it in our own language. We have access to them. We too can know God. We can know His promises and know His will. However, there was still a challenge for those Old Testament believers, the Old Testament people of God, Yes, the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of the Old Testament prophets, but not every prophet that arose spoke from God. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord warned His people that false prophets would come. In Jeremiah 28, we saw an example. The false prophet Hananiah led many in Israel astray, and he seemed so convincing he seemed to emphatically speak the word of the Lord. His deception was cunning. And Spirit through Peter warns us that false teachers will arise among God's people still today. Listen to verse 1 again. But false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Why is this such a big deal? It's because false teachers and false teaching bring so much damage and ruin. Listen to verse 1 again, false teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That is to say, they will bring in teaching that destroys, teaching that attacks something essential to the Christian faith. They will teach certain things so that if a person follows their teaching, that person will be eternally lost, forever condemned in hell. So this is a big deal. The teaching of these false prophets will be so damaging for the church, as verse 2 says, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth to disrepute. Many, many will follow their shameful ways. You see, false teachers, they teach what people's itching ears want to hear. So it's tempting to listen to their message. And by doing so, they they draw people away from true faith and repentance in Christ. Think of what we read from Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah had faithfully been proclaiming God's judgment on Israel because of its sin, not a pleasant message to give. But then Hananiah rose up and proclaimed a false message saying, within two years the Lord would bring back all the exiles. And that's a, a message much more appealing. And barely anyone listened to Jeremiah, but many Many follow the lies of the false prophets to their own destruction." And Because false teachers will still arise today, we need to learn to recognize them so that we are not led astray. So how can we recognize false teachers? Well, our text describes some of the character of false teachers. Listen to how the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how he puts it. They're full of greed. They exploit people for financial gain. As you you read this description, there's no fear of God before their, their eyes. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, probably a reference to the angels. They just think they can speak whatever they want. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, engaging in sexual immorality. They have eyes full of adultery. Verse 18 sums it up well. Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Or as one translation paraphrases it, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. What Peter here is saying is the same thing our Lord Jesus Christ taught us when he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. might look good, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." And when you listen to the description of these false teachers, you can see how un like they are. In their greed, they will exploit you, Our text says. When did Christ ever use anyone to gain material things for Himself? Instead, He, he gave up His last earthly possessions to serve and to save us. The false teachers, they revel in their deceptions as they feast with you. Christ never spoke deceitfully. He always spoke the truth. And even his opponents admitted, Teacher, we know that you are an honest man. We know that you teach the truth about God's way. They were flattering him. But what they said was true. These false teachers are called springs without water. Look like a source of life, but give no life at all. Christ is the source of living water. He proclaimed in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We find eternal life in him. False teachers, full of pride and arrogance, they promised freedom, but gave only slavery. But Christ said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's our Lord Jesus Christ in contrast to false teachers. And finally, we can discern false teachers by their message. Remember, all the Bible is God's Word inspired by the Holy Spirit. If, if anyone teaches a message that contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture, they are bringing you a false message. This is what the prophet Jeremiah was alluding to. You know, the false prophet Hananiah proclaimed good things, but Jeremiah pro- uh, appealed to the former prophets who proclaimed judgment because of Israel's sin. So, Hananiah was not prophesying in line with the former prophets. And false teachers today will not teach what is according to God's inspired Word. So, in order to recognize false teachers and false teaching, we need to grow in discernment. We need to learn to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. What are some ways we can grow in discernment? Well, of course, reading Scripture. Read, study, know Scripture. Another way is to read good Christian books. God has given teachers to His church to keep us in the way of truth. I would be curious to know, when was the last time you, you read a solid Christian book? Did you ever read To Grow in Discernment? If not, you're liable to fall for false teaching. The second great way to grow in discernment, or third one, sorry, is is to study church history. Church history is one of the most important teachers. False teachers have arisen throughout church history. Learning how the church recognized them and refuted them helps us immensely today. See, lots of the heresies of today, the false teaching of today, are simply old heresies repackaged for a new day. Studying church history is a safeguard against false teachers. Brings us to our next point. So, remembering God's judgment. So, another way we can stand guard against false teachers is also by remembering God's judgment. Why is this the case? Why do I say that? Well, if we believe God doesn't really care about false teachers and their teaching, we probably won't care either. Why worry about false teachers and their teaching if no consequences arise from them? But our text makes clear. There are huge consequences for people who teach what is false. And there are consequences for those who follow them in their lives. As I said, false teachers bring so much destruction. They introduce destructive heresies into the church. They corrupt the truth of God's Word, the gospel of Christ. And their teaching, if followed, only leads people to hell. And so God takes us with utmost seriousness does not think of false teachers who try to destroy his church as 1 Corinthians 3 says if anyone destroys God's temple the church God will destroy him and our text this morning it describes three things about God's judgment on false teachers it describes uh, the certainty of his ju- uh, sorry the character of his judgment the certainty of his judgment and the speed of his judgment We're going to go through each of these things. First, there's a character of of God's judgment on false teachers. Listen to verse 12. Like irrational animals born to be caught and destroyed, they also will be destroyed in their destruction. As a result of their destroying ways, God will give them justice, they will be destroyed. And verses 4, 5, and 6 compares their judgment to Old Testament examples of judgment. The angels who sinned were cast into hell, committed to chains of gloomy darkness. The ungodly ancient world was destroyed in the flood. Cities of Sodom and Gomorrah turned into ashes. The same judgment will come upon false teachers and their followers. Verse 17 says, "...for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They will sit in darkness forever, never enjoying light again." So, that's the character of God's judgment on false teachers and their followers. We can see that God takes this seriously. Our text also describes the certainty of their judgment Think of the Old Testament examples of judgment again that I I listed. And what those examples are here in our text for is to show that God consistently brought His judgment on those who rebelled against Him. The angels who sinned, they were not spared. The ungodly world which refused to repent, judged in the flood. Sodom and Gomorrah made an example of what will happen to the ungodly. And the conclusion the Holy Spirit wants us to make from these examples is found in verses 9 and 10. You know, if this happened and this happened and this happened in times gone by, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So this judgment will certainly come our text then describes the speed of this judgment verse one says they bring upon themselves swift destruction and then in verse three their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep Here, that the judgment of god it's it's pictured as as a person or right? the judgment is an alert person ready to act their condemnation is not idle it's not lazing around doing nothing while these false teachers are running rampant. You know, their destruction is not asleep. It's not thinking to itself, oh, these false teachers are no big deal. I think I'll just take a good long nap and bring punishment sometime later. You no, know, they will bring swift destruction on themselves, it says. That doesn't mean that God brings his judgment hastily, he always gives time to repent. But when judgment comes, there is no escape. We saw this in Jeremiah 28 also. The false prophet Hananiah led many in Israel astray. He took the yoke of God, the, the yoke God told Jeremiah to make as a symbol of the coming exile, and he broke it. He said, Thus says the Lord, which was a lie. Even so, will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. Jeremiah the prophet must have been so frustrated. No one was listening to him, and here are these false prophets teaching these things, and the people are following them. You may have wondered why the Lord let Hananiah do this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah Jeremiah proclaimed, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, Hananiah died, bringing swift destruction upon himself. So this is why... We need to hear this message. It's not a pleasant message that I proclaim to you uh, here in the second point. But it's a reality. It's a reality that we need to know and hear about so that we are not caught off guard. Just as false prophets arose among the people, so false teachers will arise among the church. Speaking rebellion making people trust in a lie, leading people to destruction. So, we must be on guard, brings us to our last point. So, again, there are some strong warnings here. The judgment upon false teachers is severe, it's real. Perhaps that even makes us uncomfortable or, or afraid. The last thing, indeed, that we want to suffer is this kind of judgment. It's good to have a healthy concern. After all, verse 2 says, Many will follow them. Above all, we want to make sure we do not follow them and suffer the same punishment. And at the same time, we do not want to be overwhelmed with fearful anxiety. No. We trust in the Lord to keep us on the right path. As we confess about the preservation of believers in the canons of Dort, because of the remnants of indwelling sin within us, because also of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful who mercifully confirms us in the grace once conferred upon us and powerfully preserves us in that grace to the end. What a a wonderful confession we make in the canons of Dort. This is something our text teaches us also. verses 5 and 6, Peter speaks of both the great flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. They serve as examples of god's judgment however notice what our text also points out they also serve as examples of god's preserving grace for his people in the time of the flood god protected and sustained the believer noah and his family And perhaps against all the odds, we might say, the whole world was corrupt, full of violence and wickedness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Nobody listened to him. And God's judgment was coming in a flood. Would Noah survive? Yes. His God would protect him. His God would see him through the judgment to the other side the place of life. See the same thing in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord delivered Lot. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were extremely wicked, and Lot lived among them as they celebrated sin. Verses 7 and 8 says, Lot was greatly distressed by their, the sensual conduct of the wicked For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Sin was everywhere around him. Finally, the Lord judged Sodom and Gomorrah, but he graciously saved Lot. And the point in our text of mentioning both these stories is showing a pattern of God's protection to his people. See, God remains the same through the ages. And so if God protected the believer Noah in a time of rampant wickedness, if He delivered righteous lots surrounded by people celebrating sin, and still today He will protect and deliver His people. He can protect us from the twisted teaching of false teachers. He can protect us from those who try to lure us back into wicked, unbelieving lifestyles can keep us from going along with the many who follow these teachers to punishment. And that's the very conclusion verse 9 gives. If God has done this for both Noah and Lot, and the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial still today. See God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can endure. It's not because we are so good, but because he is so good. Well, it's interesting that our text refers to Lot as righteous Lot. I don't know if that ever struck you. When you read the book of Genesis, Lot doesn't strike you as the most righteous person around. But remember, both Abraham and Lot were, first of all, righteous by faith. And God credited righteousness to them as a gift and he grants us the same thing through faith in Jesus Christ, for it's on the cross that Christ paid for our sins. It's by his obedience that he has fulfilled the law for us. and in Christ that we are righteous before God. And by God's same grace, Lot still grew in righteousness. He, he was a true believer. It's also why his soul was vexed in Sodom. We too might be vexed in our souls at the wickedness we see and hear. Sexual sin seems to have no limits. Violence and killing are merely entertainment. Sometimes false teachers even promote these things. Part of the gospel is that God will preserve us. So we look to Him. He will keep us safe and no one can snatch us from his hand. Amen.